You're listening to The Tales We Tell, a podcast about spooky stories, unsolved mysteries, and local lore. I'm your host, Hannah Parch. And I'm Katie. Welcome back for like the third time (laughs) in a week. (laughs) We've really been on top of things. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm proud of us. Well, at least podcast world. Oh, yeah. I'm not oh. super on top of, you know, the rest of my life, yeah, but that's yeah. okay. That's what I meant, obviously. <laughs> well, we are, this is kind of a special episode that people will um, get from the title, and I'm not going to ruin it yet because I, I haven't told Katie the, the first theme of the episode, <laughs> but we do have a few announcements. The first one I'm going to go ahead and let Katie tell everyone our socials. You can find us on Instagram at the Tales We Tell Podcast and our website, thetaleswetellpodcast.com. For those of you who don't do social media, all the pictures that we post on Instagram and share through our Twitter and Facebook can also be found there. We've got a merch store on Redbubble, just Redbubble, search the Tales We Tell. And we've also got a Patreon. And uh, we we love all of our current patrons. You you make the world for us. And uh, we'd love to have some more to add yes. to our collection of special people. Yes. And this is just a time for us to say, you know, that we appreciate every single one of our listeners. Yes. And Whether you can be a patron or not, oh yeah. we still appreciate If you're you. taking the time to listen to this, I'm still blown away that people do that. <laughs> so. <laughs> Why? We're hilarious uh, and witty. You know, let me try. So if you don't already, if you do have social media, follow us there, subscribe, like, and please tell your friends about us. And if you're so inclined... Patreon, the website, word of mouth. Um, or the, if, at the very least, if you could leave us a review, too. Yes, we did get a very kind review recently. Mm. I know. And also, just a follow-up from last time, I did get word back, and Josh goes by Josh. Cool. He's our newest patron. Sup, Josh. <laughs> so. All right. So, I thought we would talk today, just a little bit before we have our special guest come on, about Katie's favorite kind of animal, and specifically the kind of animal that we feature in our podcast. Okay, crows are actually kind of cool just because they're so smart. Okay, good, good. Can I tell you a quick tangential story? Yes. Is it one of the points that I have listed about crows? Entirely likely. (laughs) Uh, So there was a researcher at a university that did a lot of experiments with crows, not Mm -hmm. necessarily like harmful or painful ones, but definitely messed with them, you know, like made them do puzzles and stuff, I guess. And uh, so when he was done, I think he released them. And then there was crows that would hang out on the campus that Mm -hmm. every time he would walk by, they would lose their shit. They would just squawk and squawk and they would Damn. (gasps) I figured I'd swear so that Jared could have to use the crow noise. Yeah. Good. And so he started wearing a disguise, you know, like wearing a hat or mm-hmm. trying to cover his face or like changing how he walked and everything about how he dressed. And they still recognized him. Dozens of people could walk by every day. Not a peep. Not a not a call. <laughs> he walked by. They knew that guy. Hmm. That's so very smart. That Yeah. That's so. That's not technically one of my points, but awesome. it plays into it. But you can still take a drink if you want to. Going to anyway. Well, the first thing I'm going to clear up before everyone gets mad at me is the difference between a crow and a raven. They are similar. They are of the same 
family. They're corvids. Mm -hmm. So a crow is um, smaller. They're between one and one and a half pounds. They have a shorter, sharper beak. When they fly, they have to flap their wings a lot. They bob their heads around when they call. <laughs> and their call is more of like a caw sound. Like, you know, <laughs> like that. <laughs> Clever, right? I know, right? I figured we'd get as many in there as, you know, we need to. Ravens, on the other hand, are like twice the size. They are about three pounds. They have a longer, thicker beak. Sometimes they have a little hook on the end of it. They soar when they fly, so they don't flap as much. They are pretty cool. They can soar. They have more of a disheveled look. It's not flying. It's falling with style. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But they can also fly. For yeah. Uh, they have a disheveled look because they have like extra, like a ruffle of feathers. Plumage. Yeah, there you go. Plumage. Thank you. And their call sound is more like a honking. It's more of a, I don't know, more of like a squawk, I guess. It's slightly different. I feel like if you saw them individually, you might have a hard time identifying them, but side by side, they're very distinct. Also, it made me think I was looking at our little. Our little Onyx figurine. here. I think he's a raven because of his beak. I was thinking so, too. Even though it doesn't really have much of a hook towards the end, it does seem like it's bigger proportionally yeah. to the rest of him. And although he does not look disheveled, he looks very distinguished. Um, we're going to call him a raven. Yeah. Oof. Put way more candles up there now. I shouldn't be throwing around the onyx raven. Well, Katie, you probably knew this, but did you know... That the new Caledonia crow has the basically the same intelligence level as a seven-year-old human child. I didn't know it was seven, but yeah, I knew that they're they're really smart. They're very smart. According to a 2014 study, the new Caledonia crow, as well as rooks and European jays, were able to solve the Aesop's fable challenge, which is what I thought you were going to bring up. <laughs> Take a drink. So this is basically, there's like a tube of water, or like a tube with some water in it, and then there's a piece of food floating on top of the water, but it's too far down for them to reach it, but they have access to pebbles, and the crows know, or learned, to put pebbles in the tube until the water rises high enough. Displacement. Yeah. And human children can't do that until, like, seven. Which, I don't know if that's saying a lot for ravens, or crows, or saying a lot for seven-year-old children. What is my intelligence level that I just want to knock the glass over so it spills out and then get the food? Lesser than if you were to just gently pour it out <laughs> to get the food? I don't know. I feel like it's uh, me trying to cheat it's, the Kobayashi Maru. It's probably about the same as me drunkenly ordering Chinese food, $30 worth of Chinese food, like, twice in three days. Not saying. Sounds delicious, actually. It was really good, actually. So, in a 2020 article from a site called statnews.com, this is a quote. Crows know what they know and can ponder the contents of their own minds. A manifestation of higher intelligence and analytical thought long believed the sole province of humans and a few other higher mammals. Makes it sound like they can kind of ponder their thoughts. I wouldn't put it past them. Everything now that I know about crows. Another article in 2020 from his site called corvidresearch.blog. So this is kind of what you were saying. Crows can... <laughs> so I guess they can distinguish 
humans by look, but Mm -hmm. they can also distinguish between human voices that are familiar to them and those that aren't. They can also distinguish between languages that they're familiar with and those that they're not. And this study showed, or a study showed, that they would pay more attention to the unfamiliar to learn. To learn because they didn't know if the unfamiliar things were dangerous. They were like, mm, I know about yeah. this guy uh, over here. He's just talking he's about safe. <laughs> dumb stuff again. Yeah. Although there also was a theory <laughs> that the unfamiliar languages might be a sign of tourists who may be, quote, more inclined to share or easier to take advantage of than the locals. <laughs> So I was wondering also, how do they test that? Like, how do they know that crows can differentiate between familiar language versus unfamiliar? Let me tell you. They kidnapped a bunch of crows in Japan. (laughs) This is literally what happened. They kidnapped a bunch of Japanese crows. And they they raised them in a lab for however long until they got very used to Japanese. And then they would play them recordings of unfamiliar voices speaking in Japanese and then unfamiliar voices speaking Dutch and they recognized the Japanese and not the Dutch but they paid they were like mm, Dutch tourists might be here to give us some popcorn I don't know what you feed a crow it also kind of made it sound in this article like it was like if you become familiar with a crow or a raven <laughs> they'll grow familiar of your voice and I kind of wanted to know how to do that how do I get a crow to be my friend i guess you start with luring them here (laughs) you know putting some bird seed out yeah and uh, if you get a crow you know try and go outside but slowly not startle them and just say hey bird what's up hey crow what's going on you like that seed yeah that's all for you if you want if you want to come back i'll get you some popcorn i hear you like popcorn Mm. i do too And just, I think if you just talk at them, or I guess to them, they'll become familiar with the voice. And as long as there's no other, like, threats around, Mm -hmm. they won't associate you and your voice with any kind of a threat. Like, if you Mm. stepped out and you're like, hey, bird, and then Scooby ran out. Yeah. And he'd be like, I don't know. (laughs) This. I don't know. Scooby would probably kill a bird. This is a fun episode because I've been really trying to tone down on the swearing. Now you don't have to. And now I feel like I have to swear more just as an excuse to use our crow noise. Yeah, in case anyone has forgotten what a crow sounds like. It sounds like this. Fuck! We're <laughs> <laughs> <sighs> having too much fun. So another fun thing about crows and ravens. Ravens, specifically, can mimic human speech But not just regular speech. Like, they can copy tone and pitch. And there is a video that I've linked in the show notes of a raven. It's a white-necked raven named Mischief. And... So appropriate. (laughs) First of all, he's enormous. And he's just, like, chilling on this lady's arm. And she will say, like, hello. And he will say in her same tone, hello. And then... She'll Birds say, are creepy. You can't trust them. They'll, they'll make you think you're talking to somebody yeah. and you're not. And he can't the, trust them. The way he changes his voice when he says, hi, <laughs> so creepy. He can also mimic a cough, which I don't know why. I just, sometimes I, I just, I feel like maybe they're up to no good. Why can they mimic so well? What's a raven doing? You know who else mimics? 
who? Psychopaths. Oh, gosh. Oh, my gosh, you're right. Like, emotions. They mimic emotions because they can't, don't have any. Okay. I'm, I like crows and ravens right now, so I want to keep it that way. <laughs> All right, I'm going to tell you some fun mythology about ravens and crows because there is lore about them in so many cultures. In Celtic mythology, the warrior goddess Mor- Morrigan... Morrigan? Mor- I'm going to call her Morgan. Yeah, it's probably Morgan. There's an I in there. Morrigan. Morrigan. Whatever. The warrior goddess often appears as a crow or raven, or she is accompanied by a group of them, or seeing a group of crows or ravens means that she is watching. In Welsh mythology, witches and sorcerers could turn into ravens as a means of escape, which is... I have a question because you said group of crows or ravens. Obviously, a collection of crows is a (laughs) moo. Yes, as is our... Oh, wait. That's not even the right one. It's on here. (laughs) Sorry. As is on my laptop. Yes. Is it the same for ravens or is ravens a flock or group? Mm, You know, I don't know. I will take a break at some point and look that up for you. In Native American lore, the raven is seen as a trickster... Like the coyote, which is probably correct. And its intelligence is seen as its most important feature. In Norse mythology, Odin, the father of Thor, aka the other Hemsworth brother, is often represented as a pair of ravens whose names are, <laughs> I'm gonna pronounce them the way I want to, Huggin and Munnin. <laughs> Which means thought and memory. Hmm. Might be Hugin and Munin, Munin, whatever. They are thought to be Odin's spies in the land of men. That's right, because he's only got the one eye, so. So if you see. He needs two, two extra pairs. If you see two of them, they might be Hugin and Muggin. Hugin and Munin. <laughs> Hugin and Muggin. I mean, that's how pickpockets do, right? They that's hug true. you and reach in your back pocket and. That's why you Hug and mug. Hug strangers on the streets. <laughs> Um, in ancient... Wait, that's frowned upon? <laughs> uh, so, How I mean, am I supposed to make friends? You, well, you should ask first. Get consent before you hug. In ancient Greece and... Well, ancient Greeks and Romans. I don't know what I was going to say. Rome. Okay. I don't know why I was thinking Romania. In ancient Greece and Rome, they practice augury, which mm. is divination using birds. Which I is knew that one. Katie's favorite way of telling the future. And according to that practice, a crow, you could tell a lot by a bird, by what color the bird was and what direction it was coming from, I think. So a crow flying east or south was good. That's all I got from that. However, in Appalachian lore, they just cross the ocean and come to the Appalachian Mountains. They also maybe practice some form of augury because they had some other predictions about crows. Well, aren't crows always like an omen for something? Yes, and I'm about to tell you a a big list. Alright, cool. So, the Appalachian one specifically, a low-flying group of crows, or a low-flying murder, means impending illness. A crow that flies over your house and calls three times means impending death in the family. And a crow that calls in the morning before all the other birds are out means rain. So it got real dark at the beginning, and now <laughs> <Yeah>. we're good. <laughs> and then it was just, 
Rain. Rain. Yeah. Oh, okay. Um, so, like a, a, you know, an earthquake, a flood. Some, some other... Sort of crazy disaster. <laughs> some other crow symbolism, which this is... It's, it's like a Dr. Seuss rhyme. It's crows one through six. And I looked for crows today just to see if I could predict my future, but I didn't see any. One crow equals bad luck. Two crows equals good luck. Three crows equals health. Four crows equals wealth. Five crows equals sickness. And six crows equals death. So, <laughs> Which is funny because uh, I've started reading Shadow and Bone. Uh-huh. And uh, the Netflix show is a mix of the Shadow and Bone book series, but also the Six of Crows, which is a heist book. Oh. So. I don't know anything about that. I don't know. That's just kind of what's on the front of my brain there. I don't know what what you're (laughs) supposed to do with it, but. Well, if you were not taking notes, what you need to look for is two crows, three crows, or four crows. Anything other than two, three, or four is no good. Although I don't know what seven or above means. Okay, well, what if you have two crows mm-hmm. that fly over your house and one of them caused twice and the other one caused once? So that's three cause, but it's from multiple crows. Mm, I think that means probably good luck in... Good luck not dying. Good luck not dying. That's what it means. Okay. Exactly. Or, like, you'll find luck in someone else's death in your family. <laughs> Someone's going to die but leave their... <laughs> will their fortune to you. There you go. We'll go with that. In Christian texts, Noah sent out, so Noah of Mm -hmm. the flood, sent out a raven after the ark was on some dry land to see if the rest of the world was still flooded. Spoiler alert, it was still flooded. In Jewish and Islamic texts, I found this very interesting, by the way, a raven, so... The story of Adam and Eve, they have some kids. Two of them are Cain and Abel. Cain gets real mad and murders Abel, and it's like the first murder that happens. Well, there are some... the first gathering of crows. (laughs) Well, ironically, they apparently either Adam and Eve are sitting around with Abel's dead body mourning him, or Cain is sitting around with the body, and they're like, what do we do with a dead body? No one's ever died before. And apparently, what do we do with it? Apparently, ravens were just dying, regularly dying, and had their own burial rituals. And so, a raven comes over next to a dead, like finds a dead raven, and is like, "I'm just gonna bury this guy real quick." And Adam sees it and is like, "Oh, gotcha. That's Thanks, what Bard. I do. Thank you. Thanks, Bard." <laughs> and another. <laughs> I'm about to read you some uh, Bible scripture. And I had to Yay. put the whole thing in here because it's, if anyone is still subscribing to Old Testament dietary laws, here's one for you. This is from Leviticus 11. Oh, Leviticus is a fun <laughs> one. 13 through 19. It says, and I got the best, best translation I could get. Okay. All these you shall detest among the birds. They shall not be eaten. They are detestable. <laughs> the eagle. Uh, we need an editor. <laughs> the bearded vulture. The black vulture. The kite. The falcon of any kind. Every raven of any kind. The ostrich. The nighthawk. The seagull. The hawk of any kind. The little owl. 
the cormorant. Corm- corm- Thank you. Yeah. <gasps> Those birds. <laughs> I have a scar from one of them trying mm. to save their life. Stupid birds. <laughs> Stupid birds. Uh, well, you can't eat them. The short-eared owl. Like hell, I can't. <laughs> the barn owl. The tawny owl. The carrion vulture. The stork. The heron of any kind. The hoopoe. And the bat. And that's the end of that. And I don't think I need to point out to anyone that a bat isn't a bird, but you're still not supposed to eat them, I guess. So. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, clearly, we had a, an entire pandemic as proof of that. Mm, this is true. Wait. Oh, yeah. For some reason, I was thinking of the movie. What's that movie with Gwyneth Paltrow? Mm-hmm. Contagion? Probably. I don't know. It came out. There's a couple of pandemic movies. There's like Outbreak, Contagion. Yeah. Stuff this like one that. started with bat droppings, I think. Uh, Ebola also started with, I believe, oh, bat droppings. There is also debate about whether COVID started because of a bat or a pangolin. A what? A pangolin. Are you saying penguin? Pangolin. Penguin? Pangolin. You sound like Benedict Cumberbatch trying to say penguin. He says penguin. Penguins. <laughs> penguin? Uh, no, a pangolin is basically, like... It looks like a dinosaur. Um, <gasps> it's heavily armored, okay. kind of like an armadillo, but, I mean, they're small like that. Mm. I'll Google one for okay. you. Also, look up what a group of ravens is called. But you're the one who does the research, <laughs> not me. <laughs> so, crows and ravens are often, uh, or do often eat dead and or rotting animals. They sound pretty freaky and ominous when they call, and they always look like they are at a funeral. Crows and ravens often eat dead and or rotting animals, and as we have demonstrated, they sound pretty freaky and ominous when they call, and they are always dressed for a funeral. So they have... Hey, black is always in fashion. This is true. So they become associated with death and darkness and bad things, but their intelligence and their ability to kind of speak has also made them associated with prophecy and insight. And in Christy Aldridge's sixth published book called Seth, which is a book that I'm currently reading, a crow is both the harbinger of death in that it literally causes at least one death. I'm only halfway through, question mark, question mark. And it's also... (laughs) Spoiler! I haven't read far enough to know if it causes more than one. And it's also a prophet of sorts in foretelling an ominous presence, aka a really creepy little boy, that is creeping into and overtaking the town of Rawhead, Alabama in 1965. And we are lucky enough to have Christy on the podcast today. Yay! Yay! Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what you do, other than writing, etc. Well, I live in a small town in Alabama, which is why most of my books are based in a small town in Alabama. And if I'm not writing, usually I'm just being smothered and loved in cats because that's my life. Perfect. And you said that you have four of your cats, but between the rest of the family, there are eight cats to be smothered by, right? Yes. <laughs> we have an abundance of cats. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> so we established this is so your new book coming out, These Ghosts Bleed, is your seventh book. Yes. When did you when did you first start writing? Uh I started writing back when I was like 
Well, actually, I guess I really started writing when I was old enough to learn how to spell words. (laughs) But I think I really started when I was like 12 because I used to write Teen Titan fan fiction like it was nobody's business. I feel like a lot of writers actually start with fan fiction. So the easiest genre. The characters are already there. It was was easy to like learn what to do. Yeah. Uh Well, and also that's a good way of, you know, practicing and getting, like honing the craft pretty much. Mm -hmm. Also, it's uh, just fun. Totally. (laughs) 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 And instead of like trying to sit down with the, uh, you know, the, the weight of trying to write a novel. Yeah. Which, when was your first novel novel published? Uh, my first novel was published in 2015. It was Weeping Willow. And you were 21, right? Yeah, I believe so. Okay. Super young. <laughs> so impressive. Oh, no, I know. <clears throat> we did ask you that last time. Oops. Well, I'm, I'm actually going to... Oh, no, this is my next question. I thought I was going to skip <laughs> This is just a selfish question on my part. How do you go from just writing for fun to actually like writing a whole solid book that is has a beginning and an ending and is readable? Well, honestly, I think I did that because I was writing for fun. Like the first thing that ever got me started writing was I read another book, which uh, my first novel I ever wrote was a werewolf romance and it was because I read twilight and I was like, I can do that better. <laughs> and because I thought I could do it better, it helped me finish. Nice. So are you going to publish the werewolf novel? Because no, <laughs> it is horrible. Yes. But now you have, Oh my God, it's so bad. <laughs> you've, you've gotten better at writing so you can go back to it and bring it up to snuff. And yeah. I do love me some trashy werewolf. <laughs> Definitely trashy. <laughs> Oh, it was so touching. I feel like we could do like a fundraiser and it's like, if we raise like $30,000, you will, you'll release like a hundred copies of said werewolf novel. Does said werewolf novel. Okay. I might be down for that. (laughs) Does it have a title? I can be bought. (laughs) As can I. Listeners. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah does it have a um a title to it uh it had many titles i think the last title it had was like moon shadows or something Ooh. something really over dramatic coming this fall <laughs> i love it i love that we spent the first several minutes talking about her, a novel that she, she will never publish written. okay yeah. sorry <laughs> Uh, so I've read Kill My Darlings, which is a collection of short stories. And then I'm in the middle of reading Seth, which I'm really loving. First of all, I've never, I had never read horror fiction before. And I don't know why, because it's a hundred percent what I'm into. <laughs> but, uh, my first question with Kill My Darlings is how did you come up with so many different, like, they're all so nuanced and like, it's not like you have one theme other than like horror, but some of them are like twilight zone. Some of them are like actual horror movie, (laughs) scary. Like what, how do you come up with all of your ideas? Every single one of those was written over years and years because I knew I wanted to put out a collection called kill my darlings. Yeah. 
So, but I, I never thought I was really good at writing short stories. Mm -hmm. So I I didn't really do them unless something really big hit and like take Billy, for example, Mm -hmm. that completely started from a conversation with my brother about his hand. And I was like, I've got a story for this. (laughs) And I wrote it in like 30 minutes. So they just kind of sprouted. Okay. So I think that kind of leads into one of our next questions is about the inspiration for the, both the novels and all of these short stories is, you know, clearly there's that one about that was inspired by your brother's hand, but are there any that have been inspired by any kind of a paranormal experience that you've had or any kind of direct experiences to your life other than, you know, your brother's hand? <laughs> Not really paranormal, I would guess. A lot of different themes, especially like in Seth with the religious themes, those come straight from my life because I grew up in Alabama where there are two religions, you know, Christianity and football. <laughs> so stuff like that, yeah, but not really any paranormal things or anything yeah. like that. Yeah. I'm actually really into the whole, uh, I mean, not into, I also relate to growing up where the two religions for me, it was like Baptist or Southern Baptist, <laughs> more Baptist. So. <laughs> In New Orleans, if there only was two religions, it would be Catholicism and crawfish. <laughs> and which one were you? Oh, crawfish. Oh, crawfish. <laughs> but like, I'm really liking the whole, I feel like, I don't want to say I relate to it because I, I have not known a, I don't want to ruin the plot of the book either, but the whole playing on the, like the guilt that Southern churches, you know, guilt you into thinking that like, you know, the fire and brimstone, like you're going to hell if you don't repent mm-hmm. and kind of playing. I mean, because I had anxiety as a child <laughs> and I also grew up hearing all of those things and that very much was like a real life horror story to me of just you know wondering if every single day I was just sinning so much that I was just gonna burn in hell forever and be tortured for all eternity you know the good stuff honestly that's also one of the reasons like i think i held off on writing horror for so long and i kind of started with the trashy paranormal romances <laughs> because i was like oh my god if i write about death and gore and monsters i'm going to hell oh man <laughs> let me just write about werewolves and love instead <laughs> yeah that's on the good there's a line that you can cross with your writing yeah and- it's a good jumping off point until you're brave enough to to take on the religious background that you <laughs> You know, that was forced upon you. So at any time in writing, once you did get into writing your, you know, horror and your spooky stories, anytime while you were writing, did you ever start to kind of like spook yourself out or like maybe you were writing and there was a noise, like one of your cats ran by? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes. There have been so many times and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm doing something wrong. The devil is coming for me. <laughs> but no it's just my cats getting into something <laughs> I, well we played a game one time on one of our earlier episodes called is it a cat or is it a poltergeist because we f- have realized that cats and poltergeists have a lot in common so just go either oh way God. she would describe an occurrence like something about furniture being moved or knocked over or uh-huh. 
things being knocked off of <laughs> tables. And I'm like, that just sounds like a cat to me. <laughs> and see, I don't have cats. Oh, I can relate. Well, you have eight of I them. I relate right so much. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Even we have two, we have two cats that live outside and a nice little game we play is, is the roof caving in or are one of the cats running across it? <laughs> Has there ever been a time where it, it hasn't been a cat? Uh, yes. Yes, <gasps> actually. That's not the answer we were not. actually hoping for. Nobody wants to hear. Nobody wants I, to. I still can't explain it though. And it creeps me out because I consider myself like a skeptical believer. I believe in the paranormal, but I'm usually skeptical of whatever it is. It usually has an explanation. There was one day that I was in our storage room and I was just minding my own business. I was organizing things and I had laid a sheet that was in there in a clothes basket. I turned my back and all of a sudden the sheet hit me upside the head. And I was like, who threw this at me? I know where I put it, but there was no one in the house. Even the cats weren't even in the room. So I can't explain. I hate that. (laughs) I mean, I love it, but I also, I hate it. Gross. I had to explain to a coworker this week. Um, cause we have a potential situation where someone's complaint, I work for an eye doctor and a potential complaint was about someone's, uh, like a, a lady visiting them in the evening, but she's, this person's legally blind, <laughs> but they're like, she reports a lady, a white lady visiting her in the evenings. And I was very freaked out by it. And they were like, you have a podcast about spooky stuff. You shouldn't be. And I had to explain if it, I need a computer screen between me and the ghost or the thing that's happening. I don't need it. If Katie had a ghost, she wouldn't be coming here anymore. It, I'm sorry. It just wouldn't work. Yes, I can't tell you about Frederick. <laughs> Stop it. You have an old house. <laughs> um, oh, well, <laughs> see, what, uh, I don't know if this is too cliche of a question, but what is something that you hope your readers like take away from your books? Uh, I kind of hope that they take away that most monsters are actually walking around us and not paranormal or, you know, demonic or whatever, that actually it's the people around us that we have to watch. Like be careful out there. Yeah. Yeah. That is the, that's the scariest monster to me is mankind. Yeah. The one, exactly the one that you don't think of i don't know what i'm trying to say um, <laughs> it's been a very long day for me um can you tell us a little bit about your newest book that will be out by the way everyone by the time this airs her book is out so go buy it on amazon or other places yeah okay. amazon is the most universal okay. but it will be available on other ebook platforms as well But These Ghosts Bleed is about a man named Alan Gordon and his wife commits suicide, mostly out of the blue. And he discovers that she was writing books behind his back. Now, Alan is abusive and controlling. So his first thought is, I should publish these books as my own. And he proceeds to do so. Well, his dead wife 
does not agree with that as she comes back with a vengeance to slowly drive him mad. So basically it's a book about a man's descent into madness. (laughs) Nice. I like it. I like those stories. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. How did you come up with the title for it? Unless it's a spoiler and then you don't have to tell me. Uh, No, Uh, I was just trying to be artistic and, Hmm. you know, amazing. (laughs) (laughs) That's like the best answer. (laughs) It just sounded cool. (laughs) I love it. I'm just, no, I'm just awesome. <laughs> um, so what advice would you have for other authors who are ready to branch out from trashy werewolf romance and tackle the scary world of horror fiction? I would say write what you love. Like, no matter if it's popular, no matter if you think anybody else will read it, just write it. If you enjoy writing it, you will find an audience. I like that. Has anyone, I'm sorry, I keep going back to the werewolf book. Has anyone besides yourself read that book? Or I'm just thinking of me. I used to write, I mean, I, I don't think I wrote ever novels, but like I would write some like trashy stuff, but I would never let anyone else read it because I was very self-conscious. Same here. So I'm interested. Has anyone? Yeah, only one person read it. And she was like my best friend. She also loved werewolf stuff. But I bet if you asked her now, she wouldn't remember it at all. (laughs) So that works in my favor. (laughs) So how did you make the jump or like, what, where did you, I guess, get the confidence to go from writing, you know, fan fiction to writing for yourself to actually publishing your work? Well, I went from fan fiction to my little trashy werewolf thing because I, it literally was in the same vein as the fan fiction. I was just like, I can do this better. (laughs) So that's why I jumped into writing my own thing. And then after a while, I was like, I actually kind of like coming up with this stuff on my own. So I started writing other things, but they wouldn't work. And then I wrote my first novel that I published, Weeping Willow, just because of some other comment about trees. It it was weird. And I actually don't like that book, (laughs) (laughs) But, but I finished it and like family read it and they were like, no, you need to publish this. And kind of them pushing me to publish then got my mind to thinking, yeah, I can actually do this too. And started publishing things I like. Nice. What's your favorite book that you've written? Uh, actually a book that's not published yet. <gasps> Ooh, what is it? It's called It Approaches Slowly. I finished writing it this year actually Ooh. wow i love the name because it makes me like gag <laughs> it's creepy i it's like so it creepy you what if just slowly it's probably, the cats it it probably is my favorite thing i've ever written so I have very high expectations. It will probably be a while before it comes out. Ugh. Okay. Well, <laughs> great. <laughs> so when you published your first one, did you just self-publish? No, actually I got scammed by a vanity press. Oh, no. I had no idea what self-publishing was at the time. And they were like, we can publish this if you pay us so much money. <laughs> I was like, oh, Okay. <laughs> That's how publishing works. Yeah. I mean, when you're 21 and you've finished a novel and you're like trying to publish, sure. I mean, (laughs) I would have done no different probably. (laughs) So do you have an actual publisher or even an editor now or? 
you have people. No, I, I'm completely self-published now, and I actually really enjoy having all of the control over every aspect. <laughs> I am a little bit of a control freak, so it works. Speaking of um, just your creative process, your Instagram is like very on point. And in terms of like a theme, <laughs> the aesthetics, yes, I'm sorry. I've been reading a lot about how to like create a, a brand for your Instagram, which I don't think ours is really doing right now, but yours is, Oh, that's good to hear. I didn't actually think mine was, I'm constantly doing the same thing. <laughs> like how do I brand myself? Yeah, yours are very good. Um, <laughs> Do you have a favorite, um, like besides yourself, like a favorite author or book or? Yeah. Uh, fun, actually. Uh, it's probably super cliche to say Stephen King, but like overall, you know, but I have a lot of other indie writers that I just absolutely adore. And I'm so glad that I actually get to interact with these other writers that I consider amazing for our time. Oh. Wait, do you have, are those your cats? Those are dogs and okay. cats. They lost their <laughs> so to be like, Oh my God, your cats, you have something to look into. I think my cat, <laughs> my cat sits on command. So, you know, barking's not a far cry. I have heard it. <laughs> One of the uh, videos I showed I don't think I showed you. I referenced it in our little intro about crows and ravens is a raven named um, Mischief. I said midget, not that. Mischief, who uh, can talk and talks in different voices. And it's a little unnerving, in my opinion. I've heard that crows and ravens could mimic voices. And I was like, I've never heard that. But have you, Katie? You're making a face like. Yes, I actually saw something on Facebook this week that I meant to share with you. And I can share with you as well. Uh, so it was a story about apparently there is some crows that would hang out near one of those like Taco Bell slash KFC places. You mm-hmm. saw it too. I did see it because our mutual friend shared it. <laughs> yeah, I figured you might have. But essentially, he actually witnessed this happen other times and it happened to him as well, where the crows figured out that money got food. Yeah. And so the guy was outside of his establishment and the crow picked a nickel off the ground and handed it to this guy or dropped it or, on him or threw yeah, it at him or something. It delivered the nickel <laughs> to this guy and then squawked or cawed. And he says, I swear he said taco. So that's right. I went inside and <laughs> spent a dollar 15 to buy this crow a taco because he paid me five cents for it and he earned it honestly you should be making friends with the crows probably i'm just exactly (laughs) oh god they're very intelligent um do you have any other questions before i do my wrap-up question no i don't think so okay um well chrissy where can people find you and follow you and support you and your books well, I am on Instagram at Christy underscore Aldridge. I'm on Twitter as well at Christy A underscore horror. And you can buy my books at most any ebook retailer and Amazon. Nice. And I think you can just search. I may have done this to find out all of the books you've written. I think you can go on Amazon and just search your name and you pop up. 
Also, if you Google, yeah, you, I, I have, yeah, or that yeah, Amazon's go- usually pretty good about linking all of the books together. Yeah. And I Googled you and you have a little bio on, I think, Goodreads. That was very informative. <laughs> <laughs> Not to be, anyways. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for doing this whole little twice, twice technical difficulties and all. <laughs> oh, it was my pleasure. I had so much fun. Yeah, and it was good to finally meet you. I feel like we, I've I've talked to you on Instagram and seen you on Instagram, and now I can say I've met you. And exactly, just- I listen to Dawes's podcast all the time, so this is like I actually get to join the conversation. <laughs> That's so sweet. I'm always still baffled that people listen. So great. I'm not. We're awesome. Let's just own it. Right. Exactly. All right. Own it. Um, okay. Well, thank you again. Everyone get on Amazon and buy These Ghosts Bleed and also Seth and also Weeping Willow. Weeping Willow. And we'll also start a GoFundMe and for Kill My Darlings for, oh yeah, we got to start the GoFundMe campaign for, uh, was it Midnight Shadows or Moonlight Shadows? Moon, whatever. We're... Moon Shadows. Moon Shadows. Moon shadows. Trashy well, okay. Trashy werewolves. We'll get it. We'll get it. We're going to start a whole. <laughs> oh my gosh. Uh, thanks so much, Christy. This yeah, has been you. so much fun having you. It's, it's, you know, I love hanging out with you, but it's nice having a, another guest. Well, I had a blast. You guys are amazing. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks. Um, well, we'll let you get to your, um, eight cats and Mr. Mysterious <laughs> dogs. Yep. I guess. <laughs> and, uh, keep an eye on all sheets. Yeah. Make sure they stay where you put them mm-hmm. and they don't just launch yeah. themselves at your face. Exactly. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna awkwardly get up and end the recording. All right. Okay. Thanks so much, Christy. <laughs> Bye. Have a good one.